0: It is a great, great honor for me today to be able to sit down and speak with our guest, Alberto Viodo. Alberto recently wrote a book. Uh, called The Heart of the Shaman, and that is going to be what we are going to focus on and talk a bit about uh, today, amongst other things. But if you've never heard of Alberto Viodo, he has trained as a psychologist and medical anthropologist and has practiced yoga for more than 25 years. He has traveled to the source of India's holy rivers in the Himalayas to rediscover the wisdom of the sadhu, India's ancient shamans. Dr. Vioto directs the Four Winds Society, where he trains individuals in the U.S. and Europe in the practice of shamanic energy medicine. Dr. Vioto has written numerous best-selling books, including One Spirit Medicine, Shaman Healer Sage, and Power Up Your Brain. And again, the, his latest book that we are going to be talking about today is called The Heart of the Shaman: Stories and Practices of the Luminous Warrior. So in this podcast, you're going to hear Alberto talking about us all being asleep in three dreams, and the dreams that many of us have are the dreams of security, permanence, and the dream that love is unconditional. But one of the things that he says in his book is to wake up and transform the dream, you first must have to find yourself in the dream. And one of the things that I realized, too, that he talks about is our relationship with death. So I'm really... um Curious to see what your thoughts are after this podcast, but not only that, it really might entice you to want to take a look at the Afterlife Awareness Conference that Mike and I are going to be live streaming down in Orlando, Florida, November 1st through the 4th. And because all of these topics and these three dreams that Alberto talks about are all going to be discussed at this conference, as many of you know, we are selling a live stream ticket. So if you're not able to make it there in person, uh, you can definitely purchase that live stream ticket, but it's going going to really challenge you with these three dreams of security, permanence, and the dream that love is unconditional. So I want to read you a passage in his book on page 152. And he says, nothing is permanent. This is the beauty of life. Death is the great mystery that you can embrace as an ally instead of fear as an enemy. You can invite death to become your friend, to walk by your side and help you live and love fearlessly within the sacred dream. Death will remind you that not dying is not the same as living. It will remind you that the real security is found in your being a part of the sacred dream. You will no longer have to hide from death and deny the impermanence of life. So I'm hoping that as you listen to this podcast, you, along with myself, that we will begin to wake up and begin to dream the sacred dream.
1: Thank you, April. Good to be with you.
0: Yes, good to be with you, too. And I have to say, I really, really enjoyed reading uh, your newest book. I know that you have written 17 of them. This is your 17th book, The Heart of the Shaman. Um, I have personally had the ability to work with a few shamans from different areas of the world. So I am familiar with shamanism. And um, I have been introduced to your work probably, my gosh, years and years ago when I first started getting into the holistic field. Um, But Mm. what I found was really interesting was if I would have read this book um, 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have been ready for it. So I love the timing uh, that it's come into my life and the timing for you that you've written it because I was ready for it.
1: Well, you know, April, the time is, times have changed. Ten years ago, we were living in a different century, in a different world. And today we need to dream a new world into being for ourselves personally and politically and collectively. And this is what the heart of the shaman is about. How do we, how do, how do, how do we take part in the sacred dream and break out of the personal dream that we've been so stuck in for so long?
0: Yes, and I did let our listeners know in the intro that you were going to be um, trying to probably wake all of us up in this podcast, but I also, um, you know, did give your intro, but I don't want to assume that everybody does know who you are and part of your journey, so I was wondering if you wouldn't mind for our listeners who are being introduced to you for the very first time, if you can just give them a small background, because you have a very large background of all of the stuff that you've done, but just a part of your path that uh, led you to where you are here. Here today.
1: Sure. You know, I started in a in a brain laboratory. So we were we were looking at the human brain at San Francisco State University and seeing if we could create psychosomatic health. Because we knew we could create psychosomatic disease and a bunch of the stress chemicals in the brain, but could we create health? And at a certain point, I I thought we were looking out of the wrong end of the microscope. We're, You know, we're slicing and dicing and staining the brain and putting it under the microscope. I even remember going to the medical school to look for a brain. And uh, you you couldn't just get a brain. you got have to get a whole head. And uh, so and, and this is the fascination of the West. We're fascinated with the brain, but we forget the heart and we forget the soul. So at one point, I shut my lab down and I went to the Amazon to work with the medicine men and women that didn't have high technology, that didn't have MRIs, and they didn't have brain imaging and scans, but they used the the power of the heart and the soul and the mind to create health. And then I spent 25 years studying uh, with the shamans and eventually training and becoming uh, a medicine person myself. And I remember one of the old women shamans said to me, you know, Alberto, we have to heal you before you can walk this path. And I was in my early 30s and in perfect health. And I said, what are you going to heal me from? He said, well, we have to heal your ignorance because you've got a lot of information in your head, but but really very little knowledge. <laughs> and, uh, and I went, but wait a minute, what do you mean heal my ignorance? He said, yeah, Alberto. I said, no, no, no it's Dr. Violdo. I had a brand new PhD. And they said exactly my point. And then I learned that the shamans differentiate information from wisdom. Information is knowing that water is H2O. Wisdom is being able to make it rain. Information is knowing a diagnosis. Wisdom is being able to heal. And information is knowing a little bit about the brain. And and wisdom is... It, it is being able to explore the power of the mind and consciousness to create reality. So that's a, that's in a nutshell, how I got to the Amazon.
0: Yes. And didn't you, um, more recently too, went you went through your own type of illness and healing, um, recently as well, is that correct?
1: You know, I spent so many years in the jungles in Africa, and in South America, and in Mexico, and in Indonesia, that I picked up, unbeknownst to me, I picked up about 20 different viruses and parasites. Wow. And at one point, I got really sick. I couldn't even walk 100 feet without needing to sit down and rest. And I had just gone in for a full head-to-toe medical checkup. And I was talking to my friend, Greg Braden, we were in a keynote speakers in a conference together and Greg was saying, "Ah, Alberto, you're just getting old. You just got to deal with it. I said, no, 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 there's something else going on. And when I called back to the hospital to get my results, they said to me, you should be dead. Mm. They they had put me on a world map and said, you know, these parasites only exist here, and these viruses only come from there, and these worms only live in North Africa. So um, I had you know I had a, a liver that was they told me to come to come back immediately to Miami and get on a liver transplant list. And my heart was full of holes, and my brain was full of parasites. So I thought about it, and I said, "What am I going to do in Miami waiting for a liver? So I went to the Amazon instead. And I went through a very, very deep and very powerful healing process in the Amazon where I learned that we can actually grow new organs. We can regenerate organs and tissues. We can upgrade our brain. We can, I grew a new liver, but I use Western medicine also. So I use Western antibiotics, the same kind of worm medication I give my dogs. I had to take for two weeks to kill the viruses and the parasites in and, and my liver, in my heart, and in my brain. And then I had a, a liver that was not working. I had turned gray, deep gray. And in one of my drumming meditations, I went down into the lower world, and I discovered a um, a little boy that was very, very sad. And he said to me, you know, it's a shame that you're going to die before you can recover me. I guess we'll have to do it in the next life. And I go, no, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> because at that time, I had been really preparing to die and also preparing to live. I was getting ready for both mm. <laughs> and, and hoping and hoping that either one of those would be a good outcome. <laughs> so I recovered this little boy and this innocence that he brought to me. And, um, and then I said about, using the strategies of the jungle shamans and of cutting-edge neuroscience to grow a new liver and to repair my heart and to upgrade the brain. And this is in my recent book, One Spirit Medicine, and in my new book, which is called Grow a New Body. But the heart of the shaman is really about how we can come back to our own aboriginal and indigenous self because we're all aboriginal people, we're all earthlings, we're all children of Mother Earth, we're all indigenous, how we can recover this natural self that was never kicked out of the Garden of Eden, that walks with beauty on the earth, that can speak to the rivers and to the trees and to God. And once we recover this natural self, how we can become part of a sacred dream that we've all Incarnate into the earth at this time in order to be able to serve. So this is the heart of the shaman. But what led me to it, of course, was that that health crisis.
0: Right. Because in in the book, I mean, that's kind of the premise of it, too. I mean, I didn't even get to chapter one. And, you know, I had to put the book down for about, you know, a week and a half and just meditate on the three different dreams that you talked about. And, you know, with this illness, um, like you said, we are kind of either in the dream of or all of us have the dream of security, the dream of permanence and the dream that love is unconditional. And, you know, your example, too, of what you had went through and kind of like facing your death and possibly facing um living, you had to shed all of those.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, isn't it amazing that if you we all have friends, and maybe it's happened to to some of us, that we've all had friends that have gone to the doctor and they find something, they get a diagnosis and they said they say to them, you have to go in for surgery tomorrow. Right. It's it's like, why is it tomorrow? Why can't it be, you know, you've had this for a year, why do you have to go in for surgery tomorrow? So it's that fear that comes up when our, we feel that our time here on Earth is threatened. And then we turn all of our power over to, to Western medicine, which is great for some things. So the minute that we come face to face with our mortality, we're caught in a nightmare. And it can become a medical nightmare. It can become a diagnosis. It can become an illness. You know, shamans say that diseases do not exist. They don't exist. They really don't exist. Diseases are a collection of symptoms, but they don't exist. Sick people exist, but not illnesses. But if you get a diagnosis, you become a cancer patient or you become a diabetic. You don't hear people saying, I have diabetes. You hear them saying, I am diabetic. Mm. And that's a nightmare. And this book is about waking up from the collective nightmare in these three different areas that once we wake up from them, then we can actually become sacred dreamers. And until we do that, we're only going to be creating parking spots and getting a little bit better relationship or getting a little bit friendlier spouse. But once we wake up from these three, then we can take part truly in the sacred dream.
0: Yeah. And, and I'd like us to go into you elaborating a little bit more on what that sacred dream is, because it's a different type of kind of vocabulary and language and concepts for people. Like people don't usually walk around saying, Oh, I'm waking up to my sacred dream. Um, but you know, to elaborate on that, but the way that I, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Well, Mark, you know, Martin Luther King did. Oh, that is true. Yeah. I have a (laughs) dream. dream. John F. Kennedy said, yes, we're going to have a person, a man in the moon. Had he said that today, he would have said we would have had a woman in the moon (laughs) in the next decade. This is a a dream that is so much bigger than you are, and not just a little bit better job, a better house, a better retirement plan, a little bit better health, um, because otherwise we become statistics. And the statistics say that if you live to be 85 years old, and today we're all going to live to be 85, that your risk of Alzheimer's is having of having diagnosable Alzheimer's is 50%, one out of two people. Wow. Mm. I don't want to live in that nightmare.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Either do I. And, you know, when I was reading, you know, the three dreams that we have, the way that I kind of processed it as um, a mental health therapist and, you know, I do healing work myself, but, you know, the three dreams of security, the dream of permanence and the dream of love that is unconditional. I mean, I just stopped for a moment and I took a just a deep look at all of the people that I've ever sat across from and I could put every single person in one of those three car- yeah. categories. You know, they were either yeah. really struggling with finances, mm-hmm. their job, um, where to live, uh, an illness, uh, the thought of death, um, you know, things changing, right? How many humans just can't stand uh, when things change yet we live <laughs> on a planet where where nothing is permanent um, and we're all fighting for that control and then also you know thinking about some of my clients where some of their deepest sorrow is feeling as if they are not connected to other human beings or not loved or in that relationship so you know it was just I guess I woke up a little bit when I just read that and sat and really contemplated about wow these really this is like the catch-all for what to me appears to cause a lot of suffering or as you say the night nightmare. And when I, you know, went on further to read more in the book, um, you know, I felt that when you're talking about waking up to that sacred dream, there's a sense for me personally, when I think of that, where now I'm free, I'm free of all that. If I can really come to that acceptance and that peace of those three dreams that you're talking about.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Wow, that was beautifully put, April. Eh? Exquisite. Thank you so much. The uh, This is the key. This is what Heart of the Shaman is about. And this the Heart of the Shaman, the book is really the operating manual for the power of the heart. And it's not the power of love only, but the, the shamans understand that the entire cosmos, the infinitely huge cosmos and the infinitely small all exist in a little region inside your heart so that we carry the entire universe, each and every one of us, we're not only stewards of our health and of the world and of our families, but in the entire creation. And um, and to wake up to that and to become a participant in creating, we have to wake up from these three dreams because they are terrible dreams that become nightmares. You know that. Maybe the most painful one, at least in my life, has been the nightmare of the uh, of waking up with someone that I used to be in love with and going, "Who is this person in my bed?" <laughs> of a relationship gone bad, how painful that can be, you know. The um, this is the, the the daydream of love, and I have a friend that invited me to his wedding recently, and it was his fifth wedding. And I said, I'm not going to your wedding. Do you remember (laughs) what you asked me to do to you if you ever looked at a woman again? (laughs) And he said, well, it's different this time. And he wanted me to meet his bride to be perfectly nice woman. I said to him, you have to stop looking for the right partner and start becoming the right partner. And Because otherwise you're gonna create the same painful nightmare. And so he uninvited me to his wedding. And six months later, he called me up and he said, why did you let me do it? She's turned into a petty tired. This is not the woman I knew before I married. Of course it was. (laughs) So the nightmare of this kind of love that we look for in the other is one of the most painful nightmares. And I remember having dinner with with my friend Brian Weiss, that you know his books, Many Lives, Many Masters. Uh, oh, yes, yep. And the uh, and somebody asked him, well, Brian, what about when you meet your soulmate, that person that you meet, you lock eyes, you know that you've always been looking for each other, that you've always known each other. What about that? And he said, run away as fast as you can, <laughs> because that's usually someone that you hurt in a former lifetime, or that killed you in a former lifetime. So love is love does exist, but it's not that kind of love where we try to find in the other what's what is a big gaping hole in our own hearts. So, this is one of the one of the nightmares we had to wake up from. And you know, as an anthropologist, I got to spend time in cultures in Bali and Indonesia, some amazing um, amazing rituals that um, <clears throat> these societies would do, where they would pray to the gods, to their gods. And the three things that they prayed for, guess what they were. Uh, love, security and health. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> keep me safe. Keep me secure from my enemies. You know, even the early Christians protect me from my enemies. Uh, let me find that kind of love that you find in God only. Let me find my beloved. Let me find the other, the person that I can be happy with. Uh, and let me, you know, let me find my health. Let me find uh, and. and of course, we have to find these things within. Once we find our safety, our security, once we're able to love and accept ourselves, then it appears outside. And But we all know that formula. The heart of the shaman is how do we go about doing it? Because the shamans are very practical. They didn't want to know that water was only was H2O. They wanted to be able to make it rain. And my job today is to... Uh, because the sacred dream is so important right now that we're living in this collective societal nightmare of climate change and crazy politics and violence and you know it's it, I asked I was giving a talk to a group of um, of teenagers recently and I said what's the scariest thing in your life and they said going to high school that's so dangerous today right. wow. The um, So this is a, such an important time for all of us to really step back and step into and show up to dream that sacred dream together. And that's why I wrote the book.
0: And you have some exercises like right in the beginning of the book of how to break out of that daydream. And it's really like you say throughout the book, it's trying to get out of that pattern of saying, well, when I lose the 10 pounds, then I will... Go and apply for that new job, or I'll go and uh, you know try out for this play that I want to be in. So we sometimes get in, trapped into that. When I when I do this, then I'll be able to do that. I'll have the confidence to do that. And you talk about how it's important to break that down and just state
1: it, saying "I will." Yeah. And I am and I am. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes it immediate. I will almost all implies a little, you know, the day after tomorrow. But yeah, the when then paradox, when this happens, then I will be. And you want to break out of that. That's that's what keeps us trapped in in the nightmare. And when we are able to break out of that, then we can begin to dream creatively. So a few days ago, I was driving to my office in in, uh, Miami, our offices are in Miami. And what I do today is I train modern shamans through our light body school program. I was driving to my office and I had a a friend of mine, really well-known author that were both published by Hay House. And I was saying to him, you know, there's never any parking spots in my office, it's terrible. And he said, "Don't worry, Alberto. I'm going to create a parking spot for us." So you'd, we've all done that, right? Yes. So <laughs> he closes his eyes, and he takes a few deep breaths. And about thirty seconds later, he comes up and he says, "I manifested a parking spot." Five minutes later, we get to my office, and there's three parking spots. Now there's <laughs> never any parking. There's three of them. And I and he says to me, "See, it's is incredible, isn't it?" And I go, yeah, but if, if you're so good at it, why do you have to do it every time? Why can't you just create parking spots for the rest of your life right now with one meditation? <laughs> and he didn't like that. He, we're good friends, so we, we got over it. So we're really dreaming the small dream right now. Most of us are. We want things to be a little bit better. We want to find the next parking spot. And what we are, and you do, all of these come automatically when you're able to dream world peace. if you're able to dream the end of hunger in the world, all of these things come. And so when somebody asks you, they ask me, what are you doing, Alberto? Are you working on a new book? I go, yeah, but what are you doing? I go, "I'm, I'm creating world peace. That's what I've taken on. And that's not just a parking spot. I'm dreaming world peace. And it's interesting. Be, if you, uh, a friend of mine is a Buddhist teacher. And he teaches priests. The Zen Buddhist priest in Japan. And he tells me that the, many of the Japanese masters, Zen masters, are leaving the city monasteries. And they're going up to the mountaintop monasteries. Because they... Realize that at this time, it's, they, it's more important for them to envision world peace from the mountaintop than to be training a young Japanese executive on how to meditate sitting in a cushion in the city. Mm. So, your practice of sacred dreaming is a disruptive te- technology. And if we can do it together, you not only create a better world for yourself. We create the new world we came here to create together because we've all been shamans in the past at one time or another. And we chose to be born at this time to to help the earth go through a very difficult transition. And this is one of the technologies that that can do that.
0: Now, kind of. um following up with that what this makes me think about in your book is uh reading about the despacho and uh you know this practice of gratitude prayer of gratitude and um but there was a part where you were talking about the golden book and the silver book and how you have the ability to really write your own original story. And I think a question that I am thinking about on a daily basis, many times a day is the question of, do we really have free will or is this life destined? So am I really, you know, am I in these nightmares, but I have the free will to really be able to change it? Or is some of this really predestined for me to learn and evolve with my soul process? So I kind of made markings, um, you know, in this chapter about, well, is he talking about free will? And, you know, what do shamans believe about that? If there is this other book that is blank, um, you know, it's like you have the golden book where some stuff is written out for you, but then the ability to write your own. Um, I wanted you to talk a little bit more about that, but that's also connected a little bit in the making of the despacho where you talked about the shamans placing a piece of gold foil and a piece of silver foil in the center of the despacho. And I know at the end when you're creating the sacred ceremony that when you leave it, you are supposed to go and be of service service and to give and be of gratitude. So I was hoping we can maybe talk a little bit about that as well.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, April. It's a really important question. And let me let me make it a little bit bigger. So when so what's really most operant? Is it our genetics, our DNA? Is it the illnesses that run in our family that are programmed? Into the instructions of our genetic code that we inherited, or can we epigenetically modify this this DNA that we inherited to not have the heart conditions and or the breast conditions? How much of it can we change? How much of it is preordained? How much of, of it can we change? And we know that epigenetically that you that the, the food you eat will modify your genetic expression and The thoughts you think and how you forgive will repair your telomeres and increase your lifespan. So it's both. If you don't change your diet, you're going to play out. You're going to get sick the way that your parents got sick and you're going to live like they lived and have the same psychological dramas that they did and die the way they died. But if you change your diet and you change your limiting beliefs and you practice charity and compassion and you you pray, you give gratitude, you're not going to be living that scripted uh, life that was selected for you by your family, by your genes, by your upbringing. Um, so this is the same with this with this golden book and the silver book. The one of them comes already written. And we need to spend some time editing it. And there's no doubt that it needs editing. But if we spend all of our lives editing, we're not going to write our original book. <laughs> so it's a balance between the two. And frankly, there's nothing as boring as meeting someone who's in their 50s and still dealing with mommy and daddy issues. It's like, come on, you know, let's get on with it. <laughs>
0: Right. And I know I actually underlined another section in your book where you talked about, um, like the recollections that we hold about our childhood are real, but not true. They're a bad dream. And, you know, many times it seems to me, you know, in my field too, that we tend to hold on to our old stories. And I see people wanting to break free and kind of come out of those childhood stories or the hurt or the pain that they experienced in adolescence, early adulthood, say after a divorce. Um, But it seems that that, really is what pulls people back into those nightmares.
1: Yep, oh yeah, those stories are so powerful and we believe that they're true. (laughs) And indeed they were real, but they were not true. It's simply the way we hold them in our psyche at this point and they don't define who we are unless we give those stories the power to, to claim our moment and our present.
0: Yeah, and you also talk about how uh, the mind is mad and maybe even our addiction to thought and how people are very almost uh, afraid that if we were to stop thinking or having these thoughts that we would cease to
1: exist. Yep. Yeah. So here we're getting into, you know, one of the difficult things about writing about shamanism, like I have done in this book and in my earlier books, is that it's a feminine tradition. The shamanic traditions are deeply feminine. They're they're traditions of power. They're interactive. They're not about information. They're not about uh, facts. They're not they're not objective. They're subjective. They're participatory. But when you're writing. In the West, you have to kind of put it in a Western context. Mm So it's, it's, it's hard to make that translation sometimes. But in the one, one of the great shamanic practices is to be able to witness the workings of your own mind and how mad it truly is so that you can see how the mind darts here and darts there and how we keep it occupied all day and it keeps us occupied and how we don't have time to practice no mind or empty mind or stillness or quieting the mind and it doesn't last for too long we sit down to try to meditate and after about 10 breaths you start going well I wonder if I have any important emails that have come in in the last 30 seconds (laughs) it's like the mind is pretty pretty wild and meditation by the way is not the end goal it's just the beginning step when I mean, you can quiet the mind observe the mind even even make it like a dog that's chasing a stick and every time you throw the stick a little further out so you have a, a few more seconds until the dog comes running back with a new thought and you throw the stick a little further out again and um and yes the, the mind is really the um what well, we confuse for reality and it it is real but it's but it's not the truth it's not true the truth is that we live in a in a dream and that we can wake up inside the dream and become the dreamer and the, this is indeed a fantastic dream but you know at night I have all of us have fantastic dreams and we think they're perfectly normal When you're dreaming in the middle of the night and you may be in this incredibly, this extraordinary landscape with mythical creatures inside the dream, it's perfectly normal. And so it is with our waking dream that it looks perfectly normal. But the shamans understand that this also is dreamlike and we can participate in orchestrating the dream. And if we don't do that, then we are dragged along by this collective dream, a collective nightmare that defines our health and our relationships and how we love and how we find meaning in life. And it's right now that collective dream is really exhausted itself.
0: So how how do those of us who maybe are still asleep, or just starting to wake up, how do we recognize people who are awake and are living the sacred dream? um,
1: There there are a couple of different steps. The the first one is to, the minute that you wake up inside the dream, that's the first step. Then you begin to surround yourself with other people that have chosen to, to live awake, and to live more consciously, and to live more ecologically, and to forgive more, to be more compassionate. And that becomes automatic. You're drawn to, to these people. They're drawn to you. And we see this happening in our lives. So there's three steps to it. And they were mastered in three different parts of the world. For example, in the East, the first step of waking up is really at the core of the spiritual tradition of Buddhism, of Hinduism. You've gotta wake up, become awakened, become an awakened being. So you have gotta wake up in the dream. In the West, we're masters of a different discipline, which is growing up. Our psychology, our psychologies are about growing up. And that's really important. First, you've gotta wake up, then you've gotta mature you can't just go, wow, this life is but a dream, incredible. You can't go walk around the rest of your life doing that. You've got to grow up within with this awareness and integrate it into your life and become active in, um, in creating a, a sub- substance in your own life and truth in your own life. And then the third step, which is what the shamans bring, the first is waking up, the second is growing up, and the third one is showing up. So showing up means that you're part of the sacred dream. You're showing up to dream the world into being. The seduction of staying stuck and growing up is that you're always working on yourself for the rest of your life. And yes, we have to do that. But after a while, you have to start writing that other book. And that other book is not only about me. It's not a me book. It's one in which the eye literally disappears and it becomes the, the book of the nature of of creation in the cosmos, in the world, and in in this beautiful canvas that we call Earth. And this is the understanding that the shamans of all have, regardless of the culture that they that they come in. They are the earth keepers. They are the stewards of a sacred dream in the earth. And they know that when they serve that dream of, of not only humanity, but of all living creatures, that then everything is bestowed upon them. They don't have to then pursue a, a better car, a better house, a, a nicer partner. All of that comes because your your dream is inclusive of the personal. And this is the time that we're living in. It's one of stepping beyond the me uh, pursuits and into the we and into the into this global dream. And then that resolves all of our personal issues. <laughs>
0: Yes. And I know you've, you mentioned it in your book, and I've seen it firsthand where you say, you know, kind of when you become filled with that light and, and that is what you're doing in that, that third step, that the universe kind of
1: conspires to support you in all ways possible. Yeah, precisely. And yet, let me give you a really mundane example. So you've been reading some of, I'm sure, like many of our listeners, we've been reading the articles on how probiotics don't work. Uh our probiotics are totally useless you know they've done study after study that shows that the probiotics you take don't make any difference in your digestive health in your gut and this is science and um but of course this is bad science so the way that it works with the probiotics is that probiotics are part of your flora they're they're bacteria they're the good bacteria that digest food for us and that are decimated with antibiotics but the bacteria have been here long before we got here they've been here for 2,000 million years and they'll be here long after we're gone and they're part of the mind of the planet and they're living creatures so the probiotics that you take are going to work if you talk to them they're living beings, they're sentient beings. If you speak to them and tell them, look, I'm part of the solution. I'm not part of the problem, I'm part of the solution. I'm here to make a difference in the world. Then they're gonna help you. But otherwise, this, the mind of the planet, which is this bacterial mind, and you're taking a glass full or a pill full of five billion um, uh, probiotics that are part of the mind of Gaia, And at this critical juncture, they're not going to help you if they feel you're part of the problem. And humanity is not only part of the problem, it's the problem. (laughs) So if you want probiotics to work and you want to measure it with science, you've got to bring this into the experiment, right? They're sentient beings. Connect with them. Pray over your food. Pray over your your bacteria that you take to repair your gut, and they will help you. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you're going to be part of the problem in their eyes, and they're not going to make a difference. Do you follow me, what I'm saying here?
0: I do follow you, and Uh you know that that also connects to something that you said a little bit earlier that I have a question about. And you said, we are all shamans or we were all once shamans. And so, and I know that you created the school, uh, the four Winds society and light body school to, you know, teach shamanism amongst other generations. And I always wondered about that too, because to me, when I have heard of shamans, I almost felt like it had to be of an indigenous culture and who are we as Americans to go to a school and then all. All of a sudden we're calling ourselves shamans um, but you know when when you give that example of the probiotics and you know kind of communing with them and talking to them and seeing them as this these sentient beings and how they can work with you um, you know that brings me back to what you said earlier about how we
1: all were once shamans yeah absolutely you know the the shamans that i have worked with definitely understand that we keep coming back we reincarnate that we come back all the time And we have not always been blonde-haired, blue-eyed. You know, we've been together sitting around a fire with a buffalo behind us. Uh, We've prayed together in stone temples above the snow line. We've, We've journeyed together before along the medicine way. And we've all decided to reincarnate together at this time to help the earth go through a very difficult crisis. So that when I teach our students about the medicine way, it's really not teaching them something new, it's helping them to remember what they have already known. And so many of us that are involved in this field, yourself and and many or most of our listeners have been together before serving the sacred dream, which is the dream of stewardship of all life on earth. That's why this is so familiar. And so, if you think, well, today I'm not a shaman because I wasn't born among the Aztec or the Hopi, well, you're not a Hopi. You're not a Mayan or you're not an Inca, but you're a medicine woman. You're a woman of medicine. You bring great medicine to your listeners. We're medicine men and women. And this is, um, and I really invite our listeners to step in and put on that, put on that robe. This is your, This is who you are, and carry that medicine with you to make a difference. Otherwise, what are we? We're, we're the job that we do. We're a teacher. We're, we're not that. <laughs> so we are. We have come back here to serve, the earth once again together. And we have been, and we'll continue to do that for many, many lifetimes, but let's try to make it with this one.
0: Yes. And you, and you know, you do talk about like, so, and how do you do that? And how, you know, the question that I had too: how do we recognize these people who are awake? And I know that you talk about the three practices, which being uh, the first is truth. The second is beauty. Uh, and the third is love. So this might be a nice way to kind of wrap up in getting our listeners to think about how they can bring these three practices with them into their day. Mm. Maybe even after they listen to this podcast to become part of that luminous warrior that you talk about.
1: Yeah. This is so important. We have to be luminous warriors today. And, um, and I want to invite all of our listeners to step up to that. The warrior who has no enemies, who needs no enemies, who has no enemies in this world or the next, who can walk in peace and live in peace, and who can create beauty, and who can speak the truth, who dares to speak the truth. You have to be a luminous warrior to speak the truth in this time where lies are are rampant. They're, they're totally accepted, where if you look at what's happening in Washington and in local politics and in the world, We live in the era of half-truths. So yeah, the practice of truth is number one. Speak the truth, speak your truth. Remember that history is the truth of others. And the practice of the shaman that I speak about in the heart of the shaman is the practice of truth. And eventually if you are true enough to yourself and to the speaking of truth, eventually everything that you say will become so will become true. And so this is a key practice. And this is why so many of the sages speak very little. <laughs> because it's so easy to speak not truths. <clears throat> so the uh, let me tell you one of the most terrible forms of sorcery or black magic that you can do on someone is... Uh, or, and you may have experienced this. You, if you go up to someone and you, you say to them, are you all right? Are you feeling okay? <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. No, don't ever do it. If anybody says that to you, you say, of course, I'm fantastic. I'm excellent. I'm superb. What's wrong with you? Can't you see it? <laughs> <laughs> so the minute somebody begins to question, how are you? Are you okay? Of course I am. So... The practice of tr- of beauty, which is the second one, is to elicit beauty, not to look for beauty only, but to find beauty where everybody else finds ugliness. Mm. And to to these these are very ugly times. How do we find the beauty in the midst of the of all of the of the ugliness that's happening in the world? And not only do we look for it and find it, but we bring it about, we create beauty. So that when I teach our students to practice healing, and they're they're very they're very clear-cut shamanic healing strategies and techniques like soul retrieval and extracting intrusive energies and entities and clearing the imprints of the disease from the luminous energy field. So we teach these techniques, but I tell them, "Look, look, what we're doing is we're practicing beauty. We're creating beauty. We're not treating ugliness, We're not treating disease. The basis of shamanic energy medicine is if you create the conditions for health, then the disease will go away. then you don't have to treat illness, which is what we do in the West because in the West we don't have a health care system, we have a disease care system. Mm. So you create beauty, create beauty, beauty, the Navajo poem about beauty is so exquisite says beauty before me beauty behind me beauty all around me and beauty i walk surrounded by beauty and then of course beauty seeks you out so that's the second one truth and beauty and what was the third one the third one is love and love wow so love love you know we have been trained to consider love something that we barter for, you know, because I remember as a little boy, the things that made mommy smile at me and the things that made her frown. So I always kept repeating the ones that would make her smile. We're trained from an early life to be conditioned, to have our love be conditioned. And more than unconditional love, the important thing is to have unconditioned love and that we can um that recognize love as the fundamental force of physics (laughs) that that's what creates galaxies and it's the same thing that the jaguar feels as it pounces upon the deer and snaps his neck in an instant or that the rain feels for the flowers or a mother for a child or we feel for each other and so how do we Practice love and not look for love. Mm -hmm. So these are the three core practices of the luminous warrior. And love, perhaps, being the, um, the most exquisite one of all.
0: And I have just one more question for you that maybe you might be able to help me with the first one, which is always speak your truth. Um, And I would say that this has been, uh, you know, as I'm beginning to come into my own acceptance of some of the healing, uh, you know, opportunities and gifts that I have had with with my clients and knowing what I do know, studying what I have studied about consciousness, I've kind of sometimes feel like I'm the wacky one (laughs) of, you know, okay. Hey, now, here I am talking to my probiotics. And, you know, April's the one that thinks that everything is a sign. And, you know, just, you know, I'm mean, kind of get teased a lot for being quote unquote that person. So there's always been, you know, on this path too of being like a Reiki healer, of, you know, when you come up to other people or have conversations with other people, maybe who are more asleep or they might be very trapped in certain belief systems. Um, you know, as I'm maturing, I'm feeling more comfortable to kind of speak that truth, but how do you speak your truth about this without having the ego get involved? And sometimes I might, I find myself, I may quiet my truth and not really speak it out loud, but I just try to be it, if that makes sense, like just try to yeah. live by example. Because sometimes, like you said, some of the sages speak very little. Sometimes I feel like I know what my truth is in this world that I'm creating for myself in my own sacred dream. Sometimes that's very hard. And I think you, you have quite the task to find a language to speak to those who are not living that dream. But yet, it can also cause confrontation sometime with the ego of like, well, just, just wake up and live the sacred dream. Believe me, it's so much better and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know? I
1: know. It, it can be so trivialized so easily. It's so easy to turn it into cliches. And right. the thing about cliches is that they're all true, but they're still cliches. They're not original truths. So we have to try to be original. And you, and you speak your truth through your body language by being in the silence. The silence speaks so loudly. Yes. And you become, as you say, you you become, you be. And uh, that's the feminine practice, is the practice of being, whereas the more masculine is the practice of doing. And the shamans, you become truth, you become beauty, you become wisdom. So yes, you become love. You don't love things, you become it. And that's the greatest practice of truth is to become that truth. And I'll share with you an experience that happened to me recently, uh, I was teaching up in New England and I had a rental car and I was a little bit late to my program and I was driving over the speed limit and I get pulled over by a police officer. He comes down and it's beginning to rain and I can tell that he's not happy being out there in the rain and I'm not happy that I'm getting pulled over. And um, he asks, I got my license ready and he says, what's the big hurry? And uh, I say, oh, you know, I was speeding. I, you're right. I, I should not have been going this fast. And, and I look into his eyes, and I see that he's really sad. And, and I, it comes out of me. It's just said, I'm, I'm really sorry about your loss. And he looks at me, and, and he starts crying. And he had lost his mother just two weeks before. And the, and this just came out spontaneously, I, you know, because the more that you develop, the more sensitive you are to, to, to the other. Mm-hmm. And he starts crying, and I just hold his hand for a moment, and uh, he says, you're trying to get out of your ticket? I said, no, I want you to give me a ticket. I'm sorry this came out of me, and I really, really want to tell you that, you know, you do survive this, and your mother's in a good place. And... Uh, so this whole exchange, this healing exchange happened with this person. And I was insisting that he give me a traffic ticket because I didn't want to use this as a way of getting out of a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> because it would have short, it would have not been true any longer. I would have been manipulating the situation. So, But he wouldn't give me a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so it, so you, we have to be so careful in that practice that we... Do it with authenticity and with integrity. Um, Because the more that you follow a spiritual path, the more psychic you become. It's inevitable. The more you repair and upgrade your brain, the more spiritual you become. Spirituality is the inevitable result of of going through your healing process. And the more so that you become, the the more that you can read the signs of everything around you. But you have to be careful that you are in service to... And not abusing that power for your benefit. And, um, and, the, this is the, uh, and this is a delicate path to walk. But it's better to be walking that delicate path than the, the path of utmost stupidity that I walked on for so many years of my life. Of greed and avarice and wanting more and wondering what was in it for me and what can I get out of this. So it's so liberating to not be stuck in that nightmare, and this is what the heart of the shaman um, is. My offer to uh, to my students and to and to our readers, our viewers, to um, to really step into your medicine, and to be part of the sacred dream that we're so in need of right now. We're so in need of a new dream.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. And thank you so much for writing this book. Um, Even though I have never met you in person, I already feel like I am a student of yours. So I'm very (laughs) grateful. Um, Thank you,
1: April. Yes, it was
0: really wonderful to sit and talk with you for this hour.
1: Thank you for the beautiful work that you do. and, and, um, And until next time.
0: If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time!